Welcome back. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. I hope all the moms in our community feel loved and appreciated. And I hope all of you out there um, appreciate and show love to your own moms on this uh, very special Mother's Day. I think it's been especially hard on moms um, now that we're winding down from COVID. Um, but it, I think it's safe for most people to get together. So this is a really unique and special Mother's Day. So really do your best to show a lot of love and appreciation to all of your mothers. Um, as it is Mother's Day, I couldn't help but think and reflect back on my own experience um, in my family, uh, especially as a Korean American. Um, I am Korean American. And even though I grew up in L.A., um, I grew up in this neighborhood called Echo Park in Los Angeles uh, for all of my elementary school years and for most of my middle school. And then for uh, high school and one year of middle school, I moved to this suburb called Diamond Bar. And it was a really, really um, contrast uh, it, contrasting experiences. Uh, in fact, I experienced a lot of culture shock when I moved from Echo Park, LA, which is pr predominantly urban, to Diamond Bar, which is a sleepy suburb. And when I grew up in Echo Park um, and I went to school um, more in like mid-city uh, LA, I was only one of a few uh, Asian American kids in my school. Now, even though there were a lot of uh, Asians who live in Los Angeles, for some reason my school didn't have a lot of Asian American kids. So, you know, I, I heard a lot of like racist jokes, um, you know, uh, racial slurs, uh, and that was kind of like my norm, you know, I kind of like was familiar with it and um, I heard racial slurs from everybody, you know, uh, not just white people, but like my, um, you know, black friends and my Latino friends and, you know, everybody. Even uh, a couple of my teachers have called me racial slurs. And then I moved to this suburb called Diamond Bar, which actually has a lot of Asians. Um, at, time, at the time, I think it was like 40% Asian Americans in, in my high school. But um, now it's... I think there's more Asian Americans than there are anybody else. Uh, it's like the majority of that school population. So when I moved from Echo Park, LA to Diamond Bar, it was like a big culture shock to me. And the first group of people um, that befriended me, that became my friends, were not Asian American. They were like a, a mix of people. It was like a pretty diverse, like multi-ethnic group. Um, it was like an Indian kid, like a white kid, uh, a couple Hispanic kids, a couple black kids, um, and a few Asian uh, Asian American kids. Um, and I felt very comfortable in that setting. But a lot of the students in my high school, uh, a lot of the, they would stick together with their ethnicity, right? A lot of the Korean kids would hang out together, the Chinese kids would hang out together, the Filipino kids would hang out, the white kids would hang out together. And, you know, so we were like this really odd group of kids who hung out together. But that's what I was used to when I grew up in Echo Park. And so that's what I was very comfortable with. So 
in my childhood and like middle school years, I experienced being like very Asian American, very Korean American. And then when I moved to Diamond Bar in high school, I was not Asian enough, apparently. <laughs> and so in both settings, I always felt like an exile, okay? And this is why I mentioned it in today's messages because we're talking about what it feels like to be exiles um, living in this world. Um, because that was my reality, that was my experience, right? I never really quite fit in anywhere um, in my school settings. Now, you don't necessarily have to be like um, a person of color uh, to feel like an exile. Now, if you are a person of color, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, okay? You've been in certain contexts or certain situations where, you know, you're, you're often the odd person out. But even if you're white, you kind of know or you've experienced what it feels like to be in exile sometimes. If you think about your family even, for example, maybe politically, you don't quite fit in with your family. Maybe you feel like a political exile in your family. Maybe your family is um, very conservative, but you yourself are somewhat progressive, right? And you don't you're not even allowed to talk about politics at the dinner table with your family or maybe with your friends, uh, maybe even some of your closest friends. You might have different values. Maybe a lot of your friends are heavy partiers and like heavy drinkers, but you're not like that. Your idea of a good time is like staying home and reading a good book and taking a nice like bubble bath. <laughs> um, and so we all kind of know what it's like to live as exiles in this world. Interestingly, this is precisely what God calls us to do as uh, people of God, as children of God. We are called to live as exiles in this world because the values that we hold will be, will be different from the values of this world. The goals and purposes of our lives would be different from the goals and purposes of this world. Now, this is precisely why we are looking at the book of Daniel, okay? Now, Daniel is quite a mysterious book. It's not really a book that's often quoted. Um, you know, there's a lot of like quoted Bible verses, and it's not really a book that a lot of Christians uh, read regularly as a devotional, bo uh, devotional book because it's kind of weird, okay? It was written, first of all, it was written by an unknown author. Uh, more than likely, it was written by several authors and then put together, compiled by a master editor. And also the background of the protagonist, Daniel, is virtually unidentified. What we know of Daniel is basically what we read in today's passage, particularly verses uh, 3 and 4 that he's from some noble family, that he's good-looking, and he's intelligent. And half the book, half of the book is full of these like enigmatic prophecies. In fact, the book of Daniel can be divided up uh, essentially into two halves. The first half being the story of Daniel and his friends living in Babylon, while the second half being all of these different prophecies that Daniel received. 
Now, much of these prophecies in Daniel chapters 7 through 12 were concerning the four beasts or the four kingdoms uh, of the world. Uh, those who read the book of Daniel from uh, various periods in history uh, through that lens would often apply the prophecies to their contemporary nation and times. But the traditional Judeo-Christian view teaches us that these four beasts or, 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 or four kingdoms are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Okay, uh, historically, the four most powerful, most dominant empires or kingdoms the world has ever seen. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the reason why I'm giving you this kind of very brief, broad synopsis of the book of Daniel is primarily because it's important we understand the book of Daniel, uh, the, both the first and second halves of the book, which is about the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of his people. The sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of his people. This is really like the overarching theme of the book. Some might even see these themes as uh, one larger theme, which is the sovereignty of God through uh, the faithfulness of his people. This theme is definitely apparent uh, when we look at the lives of Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Later on, they changed their name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The story of these four men starts off after the nation of Judah has been ransacked and pillaged by the Babylonian Empire. Several years prior to this passage, during the reign of the Assyrian Empire, Judah had an upright and strong king by the name of Josiah. But King Josiah's death during the battle in 610 BC would be the beginning of the kingdom of Judah's downfall. King Josiah's successor was King Jehoiakim, who was placed on the Judean throne by the Egyptians to act as a vassal for their own benefit. But when the dominant Babylonians were rising in power and came into Jerusalem, the Israelites submitted to the Babylonians' authority and the Israelites were then exiled from their own land and deported to Babylon while the Babylonians enjoyed, enjoyed uh, their spoils. This is the time in Israelite history known as Babylonian captivity or post-exilic Israel. And this is where the book of Daniel begins. It was a very sad time in Israelite history. However, the results of the Israelites being exiled from Judah were not all bad. Uh, one of the main benefits of the Israelites being exiled from their homeland was this. God's people were living among pagan people. God's people were living among pagan people. And this totally fits in with the overarching theme of the entire book of Daniel, which is the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of his people because before the Babylonian captivity 
the Israelites kind of lived in a bubble, okay? They just lived in their own town and they, you know, married other Israelites and they had Israelite children and they never really interacted with anyone outside of their own nation. Now, another way that you could read the book of Daniel is to see the whole book as a metaphor for the people of God living in this broken world. As we read in uh, today's passage in Daniel chapter 1, it describes Daniel and his friends and uh, how they kind of stood out in Babylon. All right, in uh, verses uh, 3 and 4, it says that the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now, uh, this verse is the reason why so many Asian moms <laughs> name their sons Daniel, okay? Because, you know, this, as this verse is describing, you know, Daniel and his friends, they are young men without any kind of defect, okay? They're handsome and they're very good at learning, okay? They're really quick to understand and qualified to serve, okay? This is like the ideal son, <laughs> Right. And so that's why so many Asians <laughs> are named Daniel. OK, if you know, you, I'm sure you probably know many Daniels. OK, they may be Asian or white or black, whatever. Uh, but this is the verse why uh, Daniel is such a popular name for boys. Now, uh, the Babylonians, they were very smart. OK, they were uh, one of the most dominant empires. Uh, in the history of humankind for a reason, okay? And the reason why they integrated uh, Daniel and his friends into their schools and into their uh, system was because the Babylonians did that with every nation that they um, absorbed. That they would take the, the pinnacle or like the model citizens of that nation and they would integrate them into their own system and their own schools because in doing so, they would also learn from the students or from these uh, young subjects. And they would contribute to the larger Babylonian school and system. And so it was actually really, really strategic that they did this with every uh, country, every nation that they absorbed into the Babylonian empire. Daniel and his friends, however, were very unique. Okay, they were like nothing that, that the Babylonian Empire uh, has ever seen. Okay, um, as we would say in today's culture, they're just built different. <laughs> they're just built different. Okay, uh, for example, uh, most cultures, most nations at the time were pagans, meaning they believed in many gods. Okay, the Babylonians were not the only ones who believed in many gods. In fact, it was really, really rare for a culture to be uh, monotheists, meaning they only believe in one God. Daniel and his friends were strict monotheists. They only believed in one God, the God of Israel. Also, uh, Daniel and his friends were vegetarian. They didn't eat any meat, um, which was very unique. And also, they were morally pure, 
morally pure, which meant that they um, didn't drink any alcohol. Okay, uh, today's passage also told us that they don't drink wine. Um, they're not promiscuous. Okay, they don't sleep around. They don't like mess around with like uh, many women, um, and they don't really like party. Okay, um, they're really just like passionate about like learning and being healthy and um probably they were probably close friends together okay and that was like enough for them these are like ideal children all right um which is why daniel was such a popular name but i wonder why no one names their kids shadrach or meshach or abednego i don't know those, those other names kind of got shafted um Anyways, uh, so this is really like the backdrop of Daniel and his friends, okay? Now, when we look at the example of Daniel and his friends, we see that they had several things working for them. Even though they were considered exiles, okay, they had several things working for them, okay? And the first thing that they had working for them was this. God shows favor to the exiles, okay? God shows favor to the exiles. There were other Israelites in Babylon, uh, to be sure, but Daniel and his friends were the ones that are used as examples here. And so they undoubtedly remained um, faithful to the ways of God, and they remained devout uh, Jews. They uh, were uh, uh, very strict in the way that they followed God's laws, and they took their faith very, very seriously. And this was really odd, okay? This was odd for Babylonians to witness. Um, and they thought for sure if they, you know, stayed true to their ways, if they remained vegetarian, if they didn't drink wine, if they didn't party, that they were going to end up weak or they were going to just like be awkward or just like not fit in somehow, okay? But it says in verse 15, that at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, the same food that the king would eat. Also, it says in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. You see, when... We stay faithful to God when we stay true to His ways, when we take our faith seriously, and when we try to live in the way that um, God wants us to live. Uh, God shows us favor. God shows us favor. As I was kind of thinking about this, I couldn't help but uh, uh, remember um, it's kind of like a bad memory from my uh, high school years. I mentioned earlier, and this kind of ties into what I shared earlier. I mentioned earlier how I grew up at, as a kid and then in most of my middle school in Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. And then I moved to this kind of sleepy suburb called Diamond Bar. And when I moved to Diamond Bar, um, a lot of people made a lot of assumptions about me because I was from Echo Park and they just assumed that I was this like, gangbanger and like I was like I committed crime <laughs> or something or I had a gun there were these rumors that like I had a gun um, and uh, I was even sent to the principal's office once and they searched my bag to see if I had a gun which is uh, crazy 
um yeah so there were all these rumors that i, I was like in gangs and stuff and um there was this one really annoying kid uh his name was jason he uh, he grew up in diamond bar his whole life and he but he dressed like a gangster he was totally and there was this word that was popular in high school when i was in high school called wankster which is a wannabe gangster and jason was a total wannabe gangster and uh he wanted to um, make a name for himself by being this gangster and so when he would see me at school he would just like come up to me and just like push me really hard and uh want to start a fight right and um you know i don't want to get like expelled or suspended so uh you know, as much as he would taunt me, I would try so hard to resist, and um, I would just, I, I just eventually would walk away, and he would be yelling all these like cuss words at me, like calling me this, calling me that, and he did this like multiple times, and I just like resisted. It was so hard, but um, eventually Jason uh, did get into too many fights at school with other kids, and he got expelled. Right, he got expelled, and he got sent to this other school. Um, and I never really heard from him um, that much after that. When I went to college, um, I ran into uh, some old high school friends and, you know, they were talking about what our old high school friends, what other high school kids were doing. And they mentioned Jason and I was like, oh, what's, what's that punk up to? <laughs> and they mentioned that he was actually in jail for some like petty crimes that he committed. Um, and I was like, oh, that's that sucks. Right. And then when he got, came out of jail a few years later, he committed some other crime and then he went back to jail and now he's in there for life. Uh, he's, he's still there now. He's still in jail or he's in prison now. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of feel bad for him even though you know he caused me all this trouble and gave me such a headache like in high school and he was so annoying. Um, I kind of feel bad for him. But at the time when I was trying to um, resist, it didn't feel like God was favoring me. Okay, it felt like, to be honest, God was favoring Jason. Like that, like Jason was winning, that he was like had the advantage of like taunting me and talking all this crap while I was doing nothing. Right, and so it really at that time it felt like I didn't have God's favor. But now, looking back, I realize, wow, I really did have God's favor. God really was protecting me. And even though I didn't understand following God's commands at the time uh, were beneficial, specifically in that situation, now I look at my life and I'm like, wow, God has been so good, right? And He has been so good to me. Even when I didn't understand, I still try to obey and I still try to control myself. And now uh, I realize God really showed me a lot of favor, even though I you know, felt like such an odd man out and it was such a difficult time for me back then. The other thing uh, that God shows um, us in, through the example of Daniel and his friends is that God showed compassion for the exiled. God showed compassion for the exiled. The Babylonian exile was a result of the Israelites' constant disobedience, rebellion, and stubbornness, okay? God had warned them time and time again through other prophets prior to Daniel 
um, that they are being disobedient and that this would be their downfall and that if they continue living this way apart from God's law, that they would um, eventually just hurt themselves and yet they remained stubborn to the end and eventually God allowed the Babylonian Empire to dominate them and to exile them. However, God still felt really, really bad for them, okay? And he showed compassion for them. He showed compassion for them. And he still allowed the Israelites to live on despite their disobedience, their really decades and decades of disobedience uh, through people like Daniel and through his friends. And so, and so even if it feels like you're living as an exile, even if it feels like you're um, not really doing well in life, I think you're watching this right now or you're participating in this right now and God wants you to know that he has compassion for you and that he has great love for you. And even though it might be hard now, later on when you look back at your life, you'll realize like, wow, God really did care very much for me and he had great compassion on me. And I'm glad um, I'm still a follower of God today. So God shows compassion for the exiles. Last but not least, as a result of Daniel and his friends' uh, continued faithfulness, all right, and as God showed them favor and showed them compassion, other people showed favor and compassion for the exiles. Other people showed favor and compassion for the exiles. It says in verse 9, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God had caused the official, the official of Babylon, okay, the Babylonian Empire, to show favor and compassion to Daniel. In the end, the way of God wins. In the end, the way of God wins. And the way of God is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and justice. Justice. The way of God wins in the end. Many of you might know this famous quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Now, this is deservedly a, a very, very famous quote from Martin Luther King, uh, but the context of this quote is very important. This line comes from Martin Luther King's speech, How Long, Not Long, which is kind of a popular name that's given uh, to this public speech that he delivered on the steps of the state capitol in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered this speech at the end of uh, the Selma to Montgomery March on uh, March 25th, 1965. Uh, but the speech was originally named Our God is Marching On. Okay, But now um, the kind of popular uh, name for it is How Long, Not Long. 
Now, as you probably know, uh, the backdrop of this speech was during the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which was actually, you know, it was several years long. Okay, the civil rights movement was several years long. And when people think about the civil rights movement, most people think of two prominent figures, which are Martin Luther King, obviously, and Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King um, had, very, had very different approaches to civil rights. Uh, for most of Malcolm X's campaign, he advocated strongly for retaliation through violence. Okay? He is what's called a, a just war theorist, is that like when war is justified, um, we shouldn't uh, hold back, right? Um, and uh, this method was, um, to Malcolm X's kind of point, it was quick. It offered uh, short-term quick results, um, but it was kind of fear-based, okay? It was kind of like fear-based uh, civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr.'s philosophy, however, was that of nonviolent resistance. As he learned through Gandhi's leadership in the Indi Indian independence movement against the British colonialists, uh, colonialists in the early 1900s. Now, uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King's method of nonviolent resistance was a longer, slower approach, but it ended up being the more effective one. There are other great lines that Martin Luther King Jr. says in this really, really poignant speech, right? Uh, another line that he says in this speech um, that is really says a lot about his values is this. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. We must come to see that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. And that will be a day not of the white man, not of the black man. That will be the day of man as man. So when nonviolent resistance protesters were being shown in the news, right? When they were being shown in, on television or in newspapers, they were these peaceful people, nonviolent peaceful protesters who were being sprayed with fire hoses. They were being beaten with batons. And they were even being attacked by dogs, by police dogs. When Americans, when white Americans saw this in their uh, news reports on television or in their newspapers, even those who were previously resistant or even racist um, toward the civil rights movement, it turned their hearts and they realized like, they're not the bad guys, right? And, and this really like changed the heart of the average moderate American when they saw these things happening. And so it was a longer, slower approach, but it ended up being the more effective approach. And this is really such a great example of what it means to live as exiles in this world. Right? Ultimately, our values will be different from the rest of the world, but our values really need to shine. Our goals and our purposes will be different from the rest of this world, but our goals and purposes really have to be a beacon for the rest of the world to see. I wanted to throw some more quotes in today's message. 
from Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, speech, Not Long, How Long, uh, or sorry, um, How Long, Not Long. Um, but instead, I'm going to show this little clip from the speech and we'll wrap it up with this because it is such a powerful and moving speech. It's only two minutes long. And afterwards, I invite you to stick around and just reflect uh, in a minute or two of personal prayer and reflection. <laughs> 